This is Transit Unplugged. I'm Paul Comfort. Good to be with you and excited today to continue our focus on Canadian technology for the transportation industry. Today's part two episode uh, includes my friend Margaret Cullen, who is the trade commissioner for the Canadian consulate in Florida. She's the one that brought this idea to me. And joining her and me is Tim Bigwood, general manager of Trapeze Workforce Management, Jean-Pierre Barakat, partner and vice president at Cisco Technologies, and Brad Cameron, president and CEO of BusPass. Today's episode moves the focus onto safety and how to improve transit systems by tapping into data from bus stops. And we wrap up part two with a special roundtable discussion with podcast producer and manager Tris Hussey and regular contributors Mike Bismeyer and Alea Carey talking about technology, innovation, and communicating pilots to your audience. Hope you enjoy today's episode. We're going to be talking to folks from the Canadian tech industry. And this all got started with a great idea with my good friend, Margaret Cullen, who is trade commissioner at the Canadian consulate in Miami, of all places. (laughs) Margaret, thank you for uh, giving me the idea and helping us get this together. Well, thank you for making this happen, Paul. And really excited to have some of Canada's leading technology companies facing the challenges that we have today and coming up with the best solutions out there. For our listeners who did not listen to part one, we also interviewed some uh, additional tech leaders in the Canadian industry that serve North America and the rest of the world. Their solutions aren't just for Canadians, they're for other people too. But Margaret, tell us a little bit about what you do, your role with the Canadian consulate. So what I do is I find opportunities for Canadian companies in in the Florida and Puerto Rico market. We also cover the U.S. Virgin Islands. So we work with local partners. We partner with local companies also, constantly going out, what we call out calls, and finding out what are the pain points of, of companies, of municipalities, whatever the case may be, and then finding the best solution. So some ways we're like scouts, but there are a lot of other people like me. We have regional trade offices in Canada and they, you know, they know the Canadian company. So they, you know, they refer, you know, we, we say we have this opportunity and then they will come to us and, and, give us the, you know, help connect us with the best companies. Another role that we have is we uh, we promote investing in Canada. And as you can see from, you know, this podcast, last podcast, we have great companies coming out of Canada. We talked about, you know, Canada being ahead of the of, of everybody, you know, we investing in AI for many years now. So looking for companies that, you know, that want to open up a business in Canada, want to invest in Canada, um, I think we have great opportunities there. Margaret uh, and I met for the last couple of years. We've uh, got to talk to each other at the annual Comotion Miami conference. Uh, Comotion has one in LA as well. John Rassant, my good friend, uh, heads up that organization. And it is really one of the cutting edge leading technology conferences uh, in North America each year. They also have um, an investor conference, which was just held recently uh, in Canada. Uh, hopefully you had a chance to participate in that if you are a venture capitalist or someone who's interested in technology technology. Um, if you want to know more, if you're a Canadian company and you want to know more about um, what the services that the Canadian consulate offers, we'll have uh, in our show notes a link to organizations, uh, a link to the website that um, of Margaret's organization in the Canadian government if you need more assistance. Next up, I'm excited to introduce our two guests today. 
Uh, Jean-Pierre Barricat is the partner and uh, VP of BD at Cisco Technologies in the Montreal area. Jean-Pierre, thank you for being with us today. Pleasure being with you. Thanks uh, for having us. Absolutely. And my good friend, Tim Bigwood, who is general manager of Trapeze's workforce management. Trapeze, of course, is headquartered in Mississauga, Canada, just outside of Toronto. Uh, although Tim is located here in the U.S. with me down south a little bit. I'm around Annapolis and Tim's down in North Carolina. Margaret's in Miami. Man, we've got it all, all the way up the East Coast and then over to Montreal. Tim, thanks for being with us today. Absolutely, Paul. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Look forward to the Absolutely. And today we're going to talk about two really interesting, interesting topics that are top of mind for the public transit industry around the world. The first one is cybersecurity. Jean-Pierre and I were talking about all the risks that have been that are uh, that are targeted really to government agencies and transit agencies from the more common ones, which are that a lot of transit agencies, because I'm in the transit industry and, you know, and I work for Medaxo, we have customers all over the world. And I'm, I'm just about every week I get a note that some transit agency uh, around North America has been the subject of a um, a hack. And a lot of times it's ransomware or something else. And we have to be aware and not accept any emails from that company. So that's pretty common these days. But there's something else happening, Jean-Pierre, right now, which is the advent of electric vehicles and the IoT, the internet of everything, where everything is connected. Talk to us about that risk and what, what you see happening right now. Absolutely. And uh, you know, with the, the advent, as you mentioned, of electric vehicles, uh, the need for connecting uh, systems uh, is rising more and more. Uh, so you need to be able to communicate with the vehicles on a regular basis, uh, getting information from them, eventually even uh, controlling uh, the, the power consumption so that you can make sure that the vehicle will be able to, to come back to the depot uh, safely and uh, with enough power. And so we're connecting just about everything. And uh, whether it's uh, buses, it's trains, uh, switching systems, everything is interconnected now. And a lot of these systems actually are self-controlled in, in some way. The, it's a computer that runs uh, this entire thing. So everyone is aware of, you know, informational cybersecurity, let's put it this way, which basically is the cybersecurity of computers and uh, and the, the ransomware that you spoke about. But the element which is somewhat underestimated right now and is starting to be on very, mu very much on people's minds is the operational cybersecurity, is making sure that that equipment cannot be hacked and that that equipment is safe in every way. Luckily, we've never had a big incident or a big accident uh, yet. And uh, again, I don't know if that's pure luck or if it's uh, the fact that uh, no one has uh, thought about it yet, but we are at risk of having equipment hacked. The more systems that you have which are connected, the more attack surfaces that you get. And basically, it's the weakest link that allows for uh, malicious uh, minds to, to get into the systems and eventually take control of the systems. That's interesting. So, you know, um, you and I were talking in the green room about how a lot of people's concerns about autonomous vehicles are the concerns about their safety inside the vehicle. Not that it's going to get into an accident, you know, by itself, because... Most of these vehicles are actually much safer than human drivers, but the thought that someone could hack into it, kind of like Minority Report style, or if people were fans of Westwood um, or Westworld on HBO, where somebody could, you know, either the authorities could stop your vehicle as you're running because they can hack into it, or not hack into it, but control it, but malicious characters could hack into it. But that's the same concern now with our buses and trains, right? I mean, all of them are connected now through uh, the cloud and through the internet. 
Correct. And it's not the fact that it's uh, an autonomous vehicle that makes it even more uh, susceptible to, to attacks. Even vehicles with drivers behind uh, the wheel or behind the controls, most of the controls are driven by wire now. So in other words, there's no mechanical link uh, in many of those cases. So in other words, you, even if you have a driver, that there's nothing that prevents a uh, malicious mind to, to get into the system and actually prevent the driver from braking, prevent the driver from uh, doing something else. Uh, so it, it's not only autonomous vehicles, in other words. And, you know, think about the switching systems on, uh, on, a, on a train line. If someone gets control of a switching system and prevents it from switching at the right time, if the signaling is wrong, that can create huge accidents. And that, so, you know, with the ransomwares, the worst thing that can happen, which is very annoying, is the fact that the transit system will shut down and that people will say, will say, well, we can't operate the system for a with operation cybersecurity, if someone takes control of a train, the results can be catastrophic. Uh, I mean, the yes. lives are in that risk there. So just real briefly, um, to me, I've got some ideas on what the solutions might be. Obviously, you need to analyze, right, is the first step kind of like knowledge. Walk us through what potential steps could be for a transit agency, you know, the safety director, the IT director, who maybe hasn't really thought about this before. What steps should they start to begin to take today? Well, actually, there's new standards that are coming out. Uh, there's a new ISO standard, which was developed uh, in collaboration between the International Standards Organization, which is ISO, and the Society of Automotive Engineers. Uh, that was, uh, it was collaborative uh, approach to develop a standard, which is, uh, you know, it's, it's ISO 21434, which uh, is applied now to vehicles and transportation equipment. This sets a certain number of guidelines as to what should be done uh, to, uh, to to analyze the, the threats. Uh, so there's a, um, a term which is called TARA, uh, which is uh, the threat assessment and re- remediation analysis uh, that gets done. So you do this, uh, there's a gap analysis that uh, needs to be done to understand what are those standards re- requesting, where are we today, and what do we do to, to meet those standards? And one thing that you have to realize is it's the entire supply chain that is involved. Because as I said earlier, it's the weakest link that will allow a breach into a system. And therefore, you have to make sure that the entire supply chain is involved. And once the supply chain has been involved, you need to make sure that the combination of all those systems communicating between each other is also robust and safe from African tank. That's something. That's a little terrifying, but I'm glad you're bringing it to our attention because uh, I, it's obviously something that needs to be addressed. Um, and I'm glad to hear the SAE is involved. Um, I think I, I may have not have mentioned you before, but my next book on the future of public transportation, Volume 2, is being published by SAE, uh, Society of Automotive Engineers. And I think I'm going to ask you, Jean-Pierre, to contribute a chapter on this topic. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really good one. I want to switch now slightly to another aspect of safety, uh, which is um, the safety of our passengers and of our, our operators, our bus drivers. Uh, so much, Tim, has been in the news lately uh, where there's, you know, shootings and people being pushed into tracks and even drivers themselves and operators being concerned for their own safety. Isn't that right? Absolutely. And unfortunately, it is, you know, we definitely see the requirement out there to go ahead and make this a safer application uh, and or a safer environment. 
Uh, we've seen we have not seen uh, ridership come back to pre-pandemic levels as a result of this. We've seen a lot of issues that are out there, and for those of us in the transit agency that really believe that the, the you know uh, ultimately public transit is uh, is what the lifeblood of those cities are, we need to go ahead and resolve this uh, resolve this quickly so we can get get people back in and get the public confidence back to where it needs to be. And um, do, you know. A lot of people are, are wondering, what are the solutions? Uh, let's talk about internal for a minute. You and I were talking in the green room. I told you a story. When I was CEO of the MTA, we had an awful accident where somebody was driving a school bus, and they lost control of the vehicle through a medical emergency, and they bing, bang, bing, back and forth across the street, and then T-boned one of our buses, a 40-foot bus, killing my driver and several of the passengers. It's the worst uh, accident. They don't call them accidents anymore. You know, it's the worst crash that uh, that I'd ever seen and been involved in. It was just a terrible experience. The mayor and I walked on the vehicle together and uh, and saw the the carnage. Uh, and then afterward, then comes the investigation. And it turned out that, uh, you know, there was concerns on some parts that maybe there was a problem with the uh, CDL physical. Uh, where was those records for that driver, et cetera? There was a scramble for them. And then in our own agency, we realized that our record keeping for operators was, um, I won't say bifurcated, it was trifurcated, if that's a word. We had some records in HR, we had some records in training, and we had some records in operation. And we really needed to have one single source of truth, as they say. Do you think that's part of a, a good solution to this problem, Tim? Absolutely. I mean, sadly, we, we've seen that, and that's really kind of what forced us to to really kind of focus on making transit a, a safer environment, not only for, for all, you know, for riders as well as employees, uh, we went out, we, we've seen multiple people that don't have that real-time aggregation. People are still doing things on the back of clipboards, yeah. not getting that data into similar ones. They have multiple disparate systems like you're talking about there. And in order to be able to get that workflow, they don't have it. People, to your point about HR knowing about one piece, and then you've got the operators knowing about something else. Well, we saw a tremendous uh, void for that. And really, technology can go ahead and be able to solve that. And that's one of the things that we... We focused on to be able to look at. So there are solutions out there to really aggregate that data and be able to kind of address that. So people can, from any internet connected device, if you look at it today, you can you can have immediate access to you know all of your friend network, all of your banking, all of your insurance, uh, all through the touch of a hand, and as well as find out what's going on with the news all at the palm of your hand. We don't have that in these larger agencies, and that's definitely something that uh, needs to be addressed. Absolutely, one of my uh, pet peeves about the public transit industry and largely about government is that we are lagging behind the private sector in a lot of our IT uh, applications. Uh, I always used to say stuck in the 80s. Now I say we're stuck in the 90s. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I walked the Canadian Transit Agency. Uh, I toured them a few years ago and saw that they had uh, they were still relying on paper and pen to locate where all the vehicles were in the yard instead of having, you know, you need to know where your vehicles are in the yard. That's actually where most accidents occur. And most transit agencies is in their own yard, hitting each other, hitting poles, hitting buildings. Um, it's bad. And so, again, that stuff, I mean, come on. We've had solutions around for 20 years how to solve those issues. Now, let's uh, quickly, because we're running out of time, but let's quickly flip over to passenger safety. Do you have any ideas on solutions for that? Yeah, you talked about minority report, you know, being ahead of the time to be able to understand when, when issues are happening. What we've seen is, is, you know, although the technology exists, it's just a failure for us to be able to recognize trends. 
When you look at multiple spreadsheets, when you look at multiple pieces on your desk, you can't see what's happening there. By getting all that data into a single solution, especially allowing for riders to be able to go ahead and, and integrate or interact with that solution, that's going to go ahead and give those uh, those the, the leadership uh, in the C-suite to be able to environment understanding where they need to put people to mitigate those risks so that, again... To your point, we don't have uh, the large report that came out of California with some of the concerns on on women being within uh, transportation. They don't want to do it because they don't feel safe. Yes. And being able to measure that and demonstrate that, you know, it's all about data. Uh, we talk about going on data and it's a trust but verify portion of this. And for us to be able to arm the transit agencies with that type of information, they can start building up their ridership, which ultimately starts to go ahead or enables funding. So it's, it is a uh, self-fulfilling process there. Yes, that's great. I, I agree with you hundred percent. We've got eyes everywhere, right? Cameras and employees everywhere. But if you don't have it all pulled together as one single source, which it sounds like you're suggesting are solutions for the internal and the external customers of our agencies, then you're, you could be lacking and not picking up on something. So thank you, Tim, for that. That's great feedback. We'll have on our show notes, links to both the organizations these two uh, fine gentlemen represent. Margaret, thank you so much for bringing bringing forward this wonderful technology that is available for our industry. Thank you, Paul, and hopefully we can continue doing this. We have a lot more to show you. I'm also excited to have with us today Brad Cameron, another technology leader focused on the public transit industry from Canada. Brad is president and CEO of the company BusPass based in Montreal. Brad, thank you for being with us. Glad to be here, Paul. So, Brad, you know, you and I have talked about this a little bit before about how that, um, you know, most public transit agencies want to be tied into the smart city of today, right? And so they've got, uh, you know, uh, transit signal priority, bus only lanes, all kinds of like infrastructure that's tied into uh, the city's uh, smart smart city, even the lights and things like that, solar power. But one thing that a lot of cities are still looking at, and I think it's still a need in the industry, there's so much that can be done at bus stops and bus shelters. Uh, yes. I remember when I was CEO of the MTA, we were looking to gather information. And uh, this was, you know, um, eight, nine years ago now, but there were companies that, that were like putting all kinds of uh, Bluetooth beacons and information in trash cans where you could count the number of people that were coming into a bus shelter. That was early stage stuff. But um, tell me about what you've identified. I mean, you've been in this industry a long time. What do you think needs to happen at our bus shelters? How do we get them into the 21st century? Well, I think that the, the first thing we need to do, and, and you touched on it, is uh, really look at it from a smart city uh, standpoint. So the strategic nature of the bus stop being everywhere in a city where business is, where shopping is, where people live and travel, first of all, is, is the perfect starting point. Uh, secondly, we look at that and say, we need to start collecting data because we see artificial intelligence as the basis for how the future is going to be driven for smart city. So solar power, a bus stop, put it at, a, at the most strategic locations in a city, and then start collecting these massive amounts of data through IoT sensors, cameras, speakers, microphones, and then start to apply the, the algorithms, the AI algorithms on top of that. The other thing that we really believe is going to be important is that we see the the bus stop more similar to the uh, like an app store. So if you have bus stops throughout a city and now you create apps 
where you might need gunshot detection in a particular corridor, or you may need aggressive behavior in a corridor. You may want, you know, particular uh, smart lighting in, in particular areas. So now we're, we see it as pull down these different apps and put them where they're needed throughout a city, and you're starting to, you know, provoke more um, safety features for for your riders. You're starting to collect better data. And if you're going to use AI and machine learning, the key to that is all going to be about uh, the data that you collect. So that's, that's really going to help see things moving forward. Yeah, that's really good. It ties into the other conversations we've had on this podcast with um, – uh, a couple of guys who came on before you, and that is uh, Tim Bigwood, who talked about, you know, making sure that you, in a safety perspective, making sure that you've got all your driver records, uh, your operator records uh, from their safety training to their physicals all in one uh, one file, one source. And then Jean-Pierre Barricat, who talked about cybersecurity for your assets and making sure that people can hack into your trains and your buses and your yep. facilities. And now you're talking about really using AI as a way to identify potential threats or problems at bus stops and bus shelters. I think that can help people feel safer. That's a big concern right now throughout the industry uh, as people sometimes, in, especially in major cities, are expressing concern about safety at the you know at the facilities. I, I remember in Baltimore, where I was CEO of the MTA, our police department had early versions of uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence. Where at our train stations and hubs in the metro stations, the subway, where if someone like left a briefcase and it sat there for too long, the camera would zoom in on it and bring it up on the big screen in the police monitoring facility. Yes. And they could see that and then send someone to check it out. And we actually had incidents where we had to send a robot in to check it out. So you're kind of taking that same thing, even advancing it you're talking about. Transit agencies need to bring that same type of technology to their shelters. Yes. So we, we look at it from something as simple as a smart light. Um, What's that our- mean? What's a smart light? So a smart light is a light that identifies that a person, normally motion detected, is at the bus stop. Okay. So what we, through our research, we found between 80 and 90% of women and children stop using the transit after dark. And that's mostly because they're afraid to be at a bus stop uh, that's unlit. So now we look at it and say there, there should be motion detected lighting. You should have two-way communication at that uh, bus stop. So a button that you can push where you fear for, you know, you're either you're afraid that somebody's in the bushes or somebody's lurking somewhere, that you can have two-way communication with the, the with the transit agency. And again, it you know that goes as far as to your point. We can we also see it as having a, a content management service on the back end of a, of. Uh, of our of the AI side, which allows you to turn cameras on at every one of your bus shelters and examine what's going on. So instead of me having to send cars out, AI can identify that's a briefcase or that's just somebody's left a bag of food, and it will tell you. You know, it'll identify whether there's a true. Uh, issue there or whether it's something that just needs to be dealt from a cleaning standpoint so and everything in between so we, aggressive behavior gunshot detection these things are all all pieces that we see as part of the ai that needs to be built 
That's awesome, Brad. And congratulations to you. I know your company uh, won a big award from the uh, government of Quebec to get started up a few years ago, and you're you're now implementing a lot of what you talked about. And so if people want to find out more, we'll have a link to your website in our show notes. So Brad, where do you see things going for the future of smart cities when it comes to tying in their bus shelters to the overall kind of IoT, Internet of Things? Yeah, the way I look at it is right now, the most important thing to be doing is the collection of data. We all understand that data will be the key to the smart city. The efficiencies and the economies of scale that you get from creating a smart city will rely on this data. So no longer will transit agency be unilaterally out doing its own thing. We're looking at bus shelters, um, pinging uh, snow plows and, and getting them out if it's snowing oh, in wow. parts of the city or, you know, the different departmental layers of a city, we see smart cities starting to overlap them. And again, transit will be that piece that, that feeds all the data and uh, is really the building block for the smart city. That's excellent. Thank you, Brad. This has been really futuristic thinking, and I think a lot of transit agencies uh, maybe needed to hear this as they work on uh, kind of what's the next phase for their agency in attracting and retaining riders by getting more information and providing more safety uh, at their bus shelter, safety um, uh, apparatus, and safety information for the transit agency. Thank you so much. Yes, I really appreciate your time, Paul. I'm Trisasi, producer and editor here at the Transit Unplugged podcast, and I hope everyone's enjoyed this special two-part series on Canadian transit tech innovation. And to wrap things up, I'm here with two of our regular contributors, Mike Bismeyer. Hello, everyone. Thanks for having us, Tris. And Alea Carey. Hey, Tris. Hi, everybody. So what I thought the three of us could do is kind of have that, that wow what did we just hear debrief kind of thing? These were two really cool episodes. The three of us are going to chat, but I'm really divided into two parts, which is the first part is technology, because that's a big focus of these two shows, various technologies on safety and cybersecurity and EVs, bus stops, data. And then, but more importantly, as agencies do these cool, really innovative things, you do have to tell people about them, which that is in Alea's wheelhouse, communicating. Yep. You know, so let's kick this off. Mike, you've worked in the EV industry for a long time, and there's a big chunk of both interviews talking about things related to the EV, changeover to EVs, from cybersecurity to just where you put the chargers to safety, the whole nine yards. What were your takeaways, Mike? Yeah, well, thanks, Tris, for having me, and great, uh, great to hear you, Alea, and see you virtually here as well in in the little roundtable we're doing. But yeah, I, I would say that you know our guests hit the nail on the head, right? The Canadian innovation is is uh, alive and well. Um, up until recently, we had a couple of Canadian um, agencies that were the largest deployments of battery electric buses to to start out there, and I'm thinking specifically like of the folks at TTC and and um, uh, ETS in Edmonton. Uh, with large deployments, uh, both a little bit different. One was uh, a large deployment of one manufacturer, one was multiple 
um, with the idea of sharing that uh, innovative technology sort of throughout Canada with the other agencies, being a, a first adopter, having a regular report outs, hosting field trips for people to come in and learn. I mean, I really think that is the, sort of the beauty of our industry, right? It's the sharing and the internal um, knowledge that we learn from one another. It's the way to do it. Um, you see, and I think it's it's really um, commendable, um, the good people that are championing all this, because we really foster, we do foster external uh, to other entities or other um, verticals that are looking at using some of this technology. I mean, if you look at the heavy-duty trucking space and some of the other city vehicle space, they're really looking to these transit agencies as as a learning partner, too, on what they're learning on deployments of strategically putting uh, chargers and the learnings and the training they have to implement within uh, the holistic change, right? And I'm going to throw this over to Leia because I think one of the important parts is really really just messaging it out to your external partners. And a lot of teams have marketing departments, but I think more, even more far reached as one of the guests mentioned is really um, sort of trying to liaison with some of the other public entities, government folks that are responsible for uh, getting you, you know, maybe the grants or the funding or the political aspect of why we're doing some of these things as, as well. And I'm sure you're seeing it every day and helping agencies with that exact message. Yeah, thanks, Mike. And I want to add add this to your sort of nod of appreciation to Canadian innovation. What what I really heard here, and what I experience um, in when I think about and and learn about um, innovation up north from where I am, is that it's never innovation for innovation's sake. And one of the things that's that's really uplifting for me here, and really gives me a lot of hope, is that this is in innovation in the public interest and in the very broad public interest, not just um, getting people, you know, pe- pe- getting people on the bus, but getting traffic off the roads, getting the air clearer, uh, a, a larger economic development message. Like this is very, um, this is very ungreedy. It's very pure innovation. And and that always makes me feel very positive to, to listen to. Um, there are a lot of aspects of communications that that come up in listening to these segments and um, uh, from messaging, for example, as you bring up about pilots and how to talk about these things that are short term and may not work or may work and or that we may build on, how to um, develop a communications message that is consistent and sustainable and that really engages the public. Um, and then also communicating just larger innovation and why the agent, why, why an agency, for example, or why any kind of transit organization would want to do this innovation, why they um, can justify the spending of public dollars to do this innovation, um, and how to it in uh, on some level kind of getting weedy, but how to counter. Um, the uh, resentments or the um, difficulties or the conflicts that come up when transportation organizations make these kinds of decisions. And most everybody listening to this podcast, and certainly these people here in, in this room, we understand the level of thought that goes into implementing things like this and the and the months or years of discussion and the many, many parties who were consulted and, you know, the the um, political spade work and the diplomacy of getting buy-in from uh, community partners, as you, as you mentioned. Um, but very often when this message comes out to the public, it is 
um, a surprise and it's news. And it seems it, it often can come off as something that's not uh, very well considered. And certainly if you're using a communications channel like social media, um, you know, you don't usually, you don't often have um, the, the backlog of a whole bunch of stories about this whole program building up. Uh, it just looks like a Facebook post, and that is a public forum in uh, which people can make a lot of uh, comments on for good and for ill. So all of those things have to be taken into consideration. And and our um, our partners, and when I, when I say our, I mean the the marketing side's partners in community engagement also um, have a big role in rolling out uh, these you know plans that are and changes and implementations that are going to. Um, that are going to affect the community. I do want to say, I want to, I don't want to be a Luddite, but I want to represent um, those in our, uh, in our communities who are um, really not interested in all of this and who this is, this is flashy and eye catching, but does it get the bus to me faster? Does it get the, you know, it doesn't solve, for example, uh, the driver shortage and getting, um, you know, getting, are we still canceling trips because we simply can't hire and train enough drivers? You know, those are very real everyday challenges. And so I, I don't want those people to get left behind when we get excited about uh, talking about technology. And when we're thinking about um, the communications approach, that I think is a, that's an element of the story that we always have to tell. Um, and maybe, in many cases, lead with that, um, you know, this, this is the benefit for riders. This is uh, how, how this is going to make service better for you. And then expand from there uh, to, to the other really amazing and incredible benefits. And, and take into consideration as well that often our riding public simply doesn't have time to devote to uh, learning about these these innovations and what the benefits are to the community. You know, um, most of uh, or many people who use public transit use public transit because they have very few other options. And we need to be able to get the important messages to them because their time is very tight. Wow. Elia, I think every, every time we talk, we talk every other week, think, you know, we, sh- we could just do a whole Elia episode because there's so many facets to public transit in communication. Like you talked about, you have to speak to all these audiences, the people who don't want to use uh, their credit card or a tap card or whatever. One of the things, Mike, when you and I were talking in the green room and the things that struck me, you mentioned of the these all the systems connected. Jean-Pierre Barricat talked about the, the cybersecurity and attack surfaces. And I think this is something when in the transit industry, we hear about when agencies have a ransomware attack or whatever. So and so has had an attack. Make sure you you know don't open their emails, et cetera, and so forth. But that the but the vehicles themselves are are rolling computers and these interconnected systems. It, it seems this is something that wow have we really are, are are we digging deep enough into to protect ourselves? What do you think, Mike? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a, a happy medium for sure. I think I read something recently, um, just the last two days, it was on one of the news outlets here about the amount of cyber attacks daily now uh, or per hour that are that are going on out there with, with, with just what I would call Canadian government entities and, and the amount of 
um, you know, sort of uh, malware and stuff that's out there. I think this also helps drive that conversation that when we talk about, even taking it back a step, when we talk about different technologies that are being implemented on, on buses is sort of what are the standards within our industry that we're creating? And so should there be, there, I mean, there has to be a, you know, a cybersecurity standard that a protocol, it's, it's, it's no different than when, if we're going battery electric, you know, having battery safety standards, those sorts of things, it's inherently more uh, impossible, uh, you know, important uh, when we see like what's happened in the last uh, few days, even with the different um, AI stuff we're hearing about, uh, you know, in the news, right. And, you know, I'll come, I'll jump back to some expertise I had prior to getting in the, in the electric bus side, I was on the sort of mo mobile surveillance camera side of it for like 11 years, right? Onboard technologies onto buses. And I remember that when I first got involved in that, you know, there was this massive pushback from the industry, right? We don't want to be spied on the drivers or operators and unions and this. But it 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 was it was like a holistic change over time that when I when I left that part of the industry, drivers didn't want to drive a bus without it because they understood how it protected them and how it protected the agency from the he said, she said, and the false accusations. And also it captured, you know, it's that objective witness, right? But again, all that technology was piloted by someone and the development of new cameras and better places to put them. It's all because someone put those pilots on originally. And it is a heavy lift to convince your staff to change when they're comfortable. And I think that was one of the other comments that one of the guests made is that, you know, we need, we really need to communicate internally and empower our team and thank them for all these things we've got going on. I mean, you talk to any of the large agencies, they all have no less than probably 10 or 20 pilots of some sort going on throughout their organization. So when you say, oh, we're now going to try this, some people just, some agencies, they shake their head and say, how are we going to do this? And some agencies like, bring it on. We'd love to try that. And that's the exciting part of this industry. And I think our skill set is transferable too, which is really nice. When we talk about Canadian innovation, it really does parlay to North American innovation. A lot of our great leaders in the transit agency on both sides, from the business member perspective and from the transit agency perspective, you know, they move unilaterally between between uh, you know Canada and the U.S. and they take right. that expertise. And, and and that's that's really what it's all about, right? And, uh, and and that's exciting too. And what and getting back just to the innovators for a minute, right? We talk about the great innovators. If you look in Canada specifically, I mean, there's there's no shortage of who we could name, but just on the bus side. Uh, or in the transit side, we've got two of that to the OEMs. You know, you got New Flyer, you got Nova, two great Canadian. You know, they they have to sort of be what I would call propulsion agnostic, right? Because they have to evolve with the technology. They started out as diesel manufacturers, now they're zero emission manufacturers, right? And you know, I uh, I'll talk to New Flyer specifically, who, who you know, just in full. I mean, I've never worked for them. I work for a different OEM, but you know, just being a Canadian, you know, they've they've integrated with certain uh, companies to help build workforce and an understanding of this new technology. That's innovation itself too, right? Is to try and help. As as Leia said, there's a work shortage throughout all the organizations and transit across the board. So I think it's just that to me, innovation is not always technology, but sometimes um, you know the change to to support it as well. I'm going to give Alea the last word before we go, because uh, the one thing here's here's the question I have for you, Alea. To pilots, pilots are super, and Sometimes they go great, but I'm gonna I want to end it on a positive note, but with a negative start. What what would you do if a pilot didn't work out? How would you communicate mm. that? Well, I think you need to um, begin with the end in mind, and one of the possible ends being that the pilot won't work out, and so your communications plan needs to begin long before your pilot, and it needs to um, transparently address the possibility that this pilot might not work out. This is a trial. 
uh, and you will probably have to repeat that over and over again. Uh, your best forums are probably going to be the public press and your own blogs, your own longer communications, where um, even if people don't read them or see the stories immediately or look at the whole story immediately, they uh, it's there as an archive to go back and, uh, you know, you can point to that and say, we started talking about this in April of 2021. And that, you know, remind people that this is what you were saying, uh, that it might not it might not work out. And what did we learn? Let's come out of this with a lesson. It didn't go the way we thought it was going to go, but I bet we learned something along the way. And it wasn't just that we burned public funds. We learned something, you know, material that uh, will help us and help improve transit. And I think when goodwill is involved of the institutions uh, that are implementing these things that we always are going to learn something that we can apply to our next stage. It has been great chatting with you both, Alea and Mike, about these all these technologies. I mean, the, the two episodes together really, I think, paint a picture of so much innovation that's going on that's crucial for transportation. Happens to be from Canadian companies, but it's all very crucial. So hope everyone enjoyed this two-part series. And, you know, let us know what you thought on where we post on LinkedIn or on the podcast so that uh, we can bring you more of these things in the future. So this has been Tris and Mike and Alea for Transit Unplugged. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Transit Unplugged with our special guests, Margaret Cullen, Jean-Pierre Barakat, Tim Bigwood, and Brad Cameron. And coming up next week on the show... We have another of the interviews Paul recorded while he was at the UITP Global Summit in Barcelona. We have Khan Yildizgoz, who is the head of membership and global operations at UITP. Paul and Khan talk about changing travel patterns, micromobility, and even autonomous taxis. And our leadership series returns with a special two-part series from Keith Scott and Rebecca Klein-Scott of Tall Small Productions. In this first part, Keith and Rebecca talk with Paul about language and how the language you use may be holding you back in your career. If you have a question, comment, or like to be a guest on Transit Unplugged, feel free to email us anytime at info at transitunplugged.com. Transit Unplugged is brought to you by Medaxo. At Medaxo, we're passionate about moving the world's people. The Transit Unplugged, we're passionate about telling those stories. So until next week, ride safe and ride happy.